There's lots that could be talked about in this passage, so I'm not going to try to talk about everything. So you can thank God for that this morning. Um, but rather than talk specifically about this text, I want to talk about the garden itself and this, this beautiful paradise that God created for us, for the first people. Um, and, and, and what kind of role this garden plays. What is, what is great about the Garden of Eden? What is, what's great about it? Suggestions. Everything's there. Like everything they need is there. What else is, what else is great about the Garden of Eden? There's no weeds. Yeah. You don't have to work to get the food. Yeah, that's really good. You notice in the description, there was also uh, around when it talked about the rivers, it also talked about precious uh, jewels and things like that that were around. Now, that probably was fairly useless to them in the Garden of Eden at the time, but it's meant in the description to kind of tell you about how valuable or how beautiful this place is as well. So it adds to that. The other big thing that we should all immediately jump to when we think about what's great about the Garden of Eden is... God was there. So Adam and Eve get to walk around with God. Um, so the Garden of Eden is really, in a lot of ways, about God's presence and being in God's presence and having everything provided and everything being wonderful. It's about this perfection of being in God's presence and not being ashamed in any way and it being this good relationship with God where he's the one who simply just provides and gives everything that's needed. And it's beautiful and wonderful. Now, next week we're going to talk about what, uh, we've, we've had, th we're going to have three, three good Sundays of Isn't This Fantastic? That's what we did the last two Sundays. We're going to do that today. And, but next week we're going to get into uh, the serpent's going to show up and, um, Sin is going to enter into the conversation, and we're going to see what happens um, with that. But we kind of know that that's where the story is going, right? We know that the paradise doesn't last, and uh, the human beings are not able to stay in the garden any longer in this uh, intimate presence with God and in this beautiful relationship, in this beautiful garden with God. They're not able to stay in the garden. But what is an amazing thing in Scripture is that Scripture actually moves from the beginning of, of Genesis with this garden where people can no longer remain. And the whole story of Scripture is actually about how do we get back into that garden. So listen, listen to this from Isaiah 51, verse 3. The Lord will comfort Zion and... And in Isaiah and in the Old Testament prophets, often Zion is, is talking about Jerusalem, but it's really kind of a word that's put in to talk about God's people. It's the people of Zion or the people of Jerusalem. So for the Lord will comfort Zion, he will comfort all her waste places and will make her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. 
and joy and gladness will be found in her thanksgiving and the voice of song. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? But look what it's doing. It's saying, well, now we're living in a desert kind of place. There's lots of weeds (laughs) in our desert. But God is going to make this wilderness, this desert, back into the garden-like Eden. And joy and gladness will be found there. Then Ezekiel 36, uh, around verse 33 and following, talks about this. Thus says the Lord God, on the, on the day, it's talking about the, the day of the Lord that is coming, on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will cause the towns to be inhabited and the waste places shall be rebuilt. The land that was desolate shall be tilled instead of being the desolation that it was in the sight of all who passed by. And they will say, this land was desolate, that was desolate, has become like the Garden of Eden. And the waste and desolate and ruined towns are now inhabited and fortified. Then the nations that are left all around you shall know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and replanted that which was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken and I will do it. The promise of a new garden coming out of the desolation. When we come to the time of Jesus' coming, we get near to the end of his life, and there's a garden where the garden actually becomes a place of pain for Jesus. And so we've got this garden at the beginning of beauty and this relationship with God, and then we know that that gets broken and we can no longer return, yet there are these promises of God rebuilding it and recreating it. And then Jesus comes, and it seems like it's the fulfillment of all hope that perhaps in this one that's come, the promises will be fulfilled. All things will be renewed. We will again be able to be in that garden-like relationship with God. Yet when his disciples were gathered together in a garden, and Jesus prayed, let this cup pass me by in the garden of Gethsemane. And in that very same garden, his followers let him be arrested and he got carried off and crucified and he was killed. And it seemed like we had all the promises and the hope was about to be fulfilled and then suddenly that was just taken away. And the garden now is only going to be a place of pain and a place of doubt And that happens in, you can read about this in John chapter 18. But in John chapter 19, there's yet another garden. And I'll read to you just John chapter 19 verse 41. And then we'll go into John chapter 20 a little bit. Now there was a garden in the place where he was crucified. And in the garden there was a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. He gets placed in the tomb in the garden. 
Now, in John chapter 20, an amazing thing happens. Jesus is risen. The hope that seemed lost because of his death is now renewed and is even more than anyone could have imagined. And Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb. She sees the empty tomb and she thinks the body's been stolen. So she turns out of the tomb and she's crying. And who does she meet? I hear some people whispering Jesus, but no, she meets the gardener, right? The text tells us supposing that he, she supposed that he was the gardener, right? They're in a garden. This must be the gardener. She doesn't recognize that it is, in fact, Jesus, right? And she's weeping, and he says, why, why are you crying? And she explains, if, if you have moved him, if you've taken my Lord away, the body of, of my Lord away, then please tell me where, where you've put him. And he says, Mary. And she immediately recognizes that it's Jesus. And usually when we read that story out of the context of the whole story of Scripture, we say, she realizes he's not the gardener, he's Jesus. Well, actually, we ought to say she realizes that the gardener is Jesus. Because who is tending the garden? But Jesus. This garden that's been promised, that was given at the beginning, and promised to be restored at the end. Now Jesus, the gardener, is there, risen. Amazing. Now Jesus obviously ascends and goes away, and the followers are given, are commissioned by the Spirit to take the good news out into the world. But what happens at the very, very end of the Bible? The very last chapter, Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 to 5, I want to read to you. It doesn't use the word garden, but listen carefully to the description. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. On, all the, on either side of the river is the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, producing its fruit each month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Nothing accursed will be found there anymore, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and there will be no more night. They, will need, they need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Uh, previously in Revelation, there's a description of all of these gems and jewels of the great city. And it actually is a reminder of this, what we hear in Genesis 2, of these jewels that are, that are described in the context of the Garden of Eden. It's interesting that in Revelation 22, uh, 21 and 22, it's a city that is created. Yet, all, most of the imagery that's used to describe the city is actually garden imagery. Trees and fruit and rivers. And to me, that's just fascinating because it's kind of like, if you can imagine, how can you get 
as many people as possible to be close to God. We, you can't do it in a, in a small, popu, un, unpopulated garden anymore. Right? You need a city to have lots of people together. And so you end up with this city garden or this garden city for people who live in the north end of Winnipeg. Garden city is over there. You have a garden city that's given by God at the end. And finally, the promises that are there in the prophets will be completed and fulfilled in this one Jesus Christ, the true gardener. Once again, we will be given that relationship where we are there with God in his garden that he is given, where he provides, where there's no more pain or sorrow or tears. What an amazing vision that we're given right at the very beginning of the Bible, all the way through right to the end of the Bible. This is the story that's given to us. And it's amazing and unbelievable that we get the opportunity to enter into this that God has promised. So let's enter in and celebrate today that we have this, knowing that next week we get to deal with the difficulties of the tree and the serpent and the, and the man and the woman disobeying. Um, and how that plays out. But let's never forget the promise that God has given in his garden where we have relationship with him. Amen.